With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. You know, I I just first wanted to say uh, thank you, actually, because 2001, 2002, I had millions of dollars, sold a business, um, totally went broke, lost my house, lost everything. And I would read your two books over and over again. And I really do attribute them. And I had my business partner read them. And we both really got off the ground. Because, you know, there's you know that sensation where you have to peel yourself off the ground somehow. But you need something to do it because you don't know how to do it. It's all your best thinking got you on the ground. So (laughs) That's true. And, you know, and I've I've totally plagiarized your no complaints diet. So so that really helped me. No complaining. For right. 10 days, I think. I remember it from one of the books. Yeah, so. I think that's right. Well, you should share some of that, at least a few seconds of that on the line so they know that there's an affinity for what you've read before. Oh, we're recording. Oh, we're recording. <laughs> so. Okay, well, it's even better. <laughs> so, I'm James Altucher here with Tony Robbins. So, <laughs> nice to meet you thank officially. you so much. And um, you're the author of this new book, brand new book, Money, Master the Game, Seven Simple Steps to Financial Freedom. I've been privileged to have an advanced copy and read it. I'm incredibly impressed. It's been, what has it been, 20 years, over 20 years since yeah. you've had a book out. Over 20 years. And, you know, I think we both have the sense of why, just because the economy has turned upside down. Everyone's afraid. But, but maybe in your words, why, did, why now? Why did you write this book? First of all, I haven't written a book for two decades because I'm on a plane about every four days. I have 12 companies that I run directly and 12 that I indirectly run. Um, and I've been in 15 countries on average each year, and I love what I do. I get to talk to six, 10,000 people at a time, and it's live, and it's raw, and it's real. And books for me, you know, most people don't read. And then secondly for me, to sit still for a long period of time is kind of a pain. But I wrote this now to answer your question because uh, it, when I saw 2008 happen, I grew up in a very tough environment, emotionally and financially, and I tied those two together. They don't always go together, but I did tie them together in my head. Um, and so when I saw people suffering like at a level that was just crazy, you know, families losing half of all they had, you know, people who couldn't send their kids to college anymore, people who couldn't retire. It just made me sick. And, and I had, you know, my, my barber and I had billionaire clients, believe it or not, from their level of suffering, they're not the same as other people, but they saw giant hits to their life. Mm-hmm. And I thought, the system's got to change. Two years later, you know, as you and I both know, the system's not changed. <laughs> Lots of promises, not any real core change. And I saw this documentary called Inside Job, which was, um, I actually won the Academy Award eventually, and Matt Damon did the voiceover for it. And it basically is probably one of the best uh, documentaries to walk through what actually happened and how we 
small number of people almost blew up the entire world economy. But the crazy thing is the punishment for that, most of us got a sense of today, is we bailed them out. But most people, we didn't just bail them out. We put them in charge of the recovery. It's just mind-boggling what's happened. And so I, I think if you watch that film, you're either really depressed or you're really angry. And I left angry. And I thought, what could I do? And I thought, well, I have access. Most people don't know. Uh, some people think I'm Mr. Motivator or something of that nature. But for 21 years, I've coached Paul Tudor Jones, who's one of the top 10 financial traders in the history of the world. Uh, um, let me ask you about that. Yeah. So he calls you up out of the blue. Like, were you sitting in a chair and somebody said, oh, Paul Tudor Jones is on the phone? Like, how did that happen? No, uh, Pat Riley actually called me and said, there's a, a friend of mine, Pat had left you know, the Lakers and gone to New York, was the coach in New York at the time. And Pat and I are good friends. I've helped him with the sports teams throughout the years. And he said, there's a guy that desperately needs your help right now. He's going through a tough time. He's one of the best in history, but he's having a real challenging time. And I said, uh, who's that? He said, Paul Tudor Jones. I said, wow. I said, uh, you know, I'd love to meet him. He said, well, he'd love to meet you. So we met at a Knicks game. And then uh, I went out to visit with Paul and spent some time. And we've been, I've been working with Paul since he was 39 years old. He's just turned 60. Wow. So I give you a sense of the, the length of time. And I have learned so much from Paul. It's scary because I've been with Paul when, you know, the 2000 stock market crash, I was there, you know, with him seeing what he did in 9-11, you know, what does he do when, uh, when we have the subprime crisis to do? Because he's made money every single year for 21 straight years. His fund has made money 28 years in a row, to give you an idea. But I've been there side by side with the gold drops, you know, the largest drop we've had in recent history. And I've seen what he's done. So I have these insights and I thought because of him, I got access. You know, I've been doing this for a couple of decades. And I'm going to go to 50 of the smartest people in the world financially and self-made billionaires people literally started with nothing guys like ray dalio started out you know working on a golf course and now it's got the largest hedge fund in the world 160 billion and say how did they get there what did they do what turned it around i want to go to nobel laureates i want to make sure i step on the other side of the table and look at the academic view of, of finance and see what those people have done by studying researching over and over again i want to go to behavioral economics i want to understand what are the tools that we can use to, you and i we all as humans have bad habits what are some of the tricks that can get us out of those bad habits so we can truly get free so that became my mission. It lasted you know, about four years now, or more than four years. I interviewed more than 50 people. Um, and then I had to try and pour that into a single book and simplify it because I believe that um, you know, complexity is the enemy of execution. And in finance, everything is made more complex than it really needs to be because the more complex it is like having a lawyer. If it's too simple, you can do it yourself. Right. Having a doctor, you know, to be fair, that's a complex system. So you need some, maybe need some assistance there. Well, but a lot of times you have things built into the system, make it more complex, and people don't know what to do. So I wanted to provide something I could hand anybody if they were just beginning the journey, like a millennial who's coming out of school, and they're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to get past the student debt, or uh, a baby boomer that's going, oh, my God, I took a ton of loss in 2008. I didn't take advantage of the market because I was scared, and what do I do now? Or a sophisticated investor says, like, I want to know what Ray Dalio does. <laughs> you know, really, he doesn't reveal. Well, I want to be able to reach all of them. I want to I ask you about each one of those groups. Um, right. And you and – you, um, you start off very well describing all the myths that are still currently baked into the system. Like you, yes. like when you talk complexity, I hear fees. So for yes. everything that you're, is complex, for everything that's complex, you can charge for it because there's some somebody's one is uh, has I don't want to say ignorance, but someone it says, oh yeah, I don't understand that, so I'm willing to pay for it. So what are the layers of fees that you think the average investor? doesn't know but should know. And you describe it very well in this book, so that's one big reason why I encourage people to read this book. But yep. what are what are some of the ones that shocked you? Gosh, there's so many. I'm going to start with the most basic thing. How about where do most Americans put their money to try to create some form of financial security or freedom long term? 
whether it be for retirement or before. They put it in the 401k because it's tax efficient. And then where does the money go? Usually into a mutual fund. Why does it go to a mutual fund? Because you and I as average people would think, oh, I got a job, I got kids, I got family, I'm running a business. How am I going to be a professional investor on the side? Obviously, somebody whose full-time focus is on that is going to make more better decisions. So they're going to be my active manager. They're going to pick which stocks. They're going to put this mutual fund together. I'm going to see their track record, and I'm going to invest in those guys. It seems so simple. But in reality, what all the research shows, and I got this from Warren Buffett. I got this from Ray Dalio. I got this from uh, David Swenson, who's the number one institutional investor in history from Yale. He took Yale from $1 billion endowment to $24 billion in 20 years. It's just unheard of. Smartest people in the room. And they all said, Tony, active management does not work except for a few unicorns. And the unicorns are people that the average person can never access. You can't get to Ray Dalio. If you have $5 billion and you have a $100 million initial investment, that could have got you to him 10 years ago. Today, you won't take your money to much money enough because he manages government's money and giant pension funds. It's not going to happen. Paul Tudor, you can't get money with him. So the guys that actually, the few people that can beat the market are there. Everybody else doesn't. And in fact, here's the statistic, 96% of all mutual funds, don't match the market over any 10-year period of time. That means 4% make it. And out of the 4%, they're always changing. So what's your chance? You go, well, I'm going to find the 4%. You're not going to do it by going to Morningstar. If you go to Morningstar and find a five-star you know, account, every trader on earth loves when you buy high, when something is high, and then they know it's going to count, it's going to go, you're going to sell it, and then they're going to, you're going to go buy another high account. That's how you lose. So what they found is, statistically, I'll give you a metaphor, and then I'll answer your question directly about fees. I haven't forgotten. I just want to be clear about where fees enter people's lives. Because people don't think about fees. They think, well, I've just got my 401k. Most people think 401ks don't even have fees. It's just, you know, when you read the research, it's mind-boggling what the average American thinks. So what's your chance of picking the right mutual fund, which is what your entire financial future is based on for most Americans? Well, you got a 4% chance. Let me put that in perspective. If you and I went and go play blackjack in Vegas, and you know how to play blackjack, you get to 21, above 21, you bust. It's the closest one to 21. And you get two face cards, which are 10 each. Are you going to, if your inner idiot somehow says, I want to get 21, there's only one card that can get me there, it's an ace, I have the entire deck, and you go, hit me, you have an 8% chance of getting an ace and getting blackjack. You only have a 4% chance of getting the right mutual fund. Just absurd. <laughs> so not only do they not perform, and by the way, Warren Buffett has got a million-dollar bet now with Protégé Partners, where he's saying it's hedge funds, saying you pick five hedge funds, put them together, the best of the best, and I'll bet you by my investing in the index, which costs me 14 basis points, right? as opposed to 3% in fees, I'll bet you that I'm going to destroy you. And he, right now, it's been going on for, what, eight years? And he's destroying them by like 30 or 40% at this stage, right? So how does that get to fees? Well, the average mutual fund's fees are 3.1% according to Forbes. Now, when you tell people this, they go, no, 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 I'm smarter than that. I pay 1% in fees. You know, that's the expense ratio. That's the sticker that they show you on the outside. But um, um, Hilton Smith, this gentleman who is, works for uh, Demos, is just a brilliant, he's an economist, he was very frustrated because he couldn't figure out why is it that, you know, the market's going up and my account's not going up proportionally, not even close. And so he finally decided he'd get research time and he got the research time aside and he went and read, I think, I think he had 15 or 16 mutual funds that he had. And he you know, was a 52 page, you know, prospectus on each one. And this guy's, in a, you know, he's got a degree in economics. And he said it literally took him almost six weeks to decipher that there are 17 different types of fees. They don't call them all fees, but they're out of your pocket so it's a fee, right? And nobody knows a pension to it. So the 3.1 for the average 401k for people, the average fees there are 4% plus. So if you put this in perspective, when you hear 3%, a lot of people say, well, what does that matter? Well, let me show you what it matters. 
most of us know the power of compounding, right? You know, compounding is how you get wealthy with a small amount of money. If you're willing to have the time and you stay in the game, you can win. But fees compound. So if you have, you know, let's take you got three people and they all start with a million dollars or a hundred thousand. You take it either way you want, a hundred thousand, million, whatever it is. And they decide they're going to invest. They're 35 years old. We're going to invest for the next 30 years. And all three of them get a 7% return for 30 years. At the end of 30 years, we did the million dollar example. One person's got seven plus million. The other's got four. And the difference is 3%, 2% or 1% fees. The guy that had 1% of fees has 7 million. The guy that has, you know, 4 million bucks, 3.3 million less in money, 76% less. That person, that individual paid 3% of fees. It doesn't matter what the return was. It's what you get to keep. And so most people have no clue just the layers of fees that are there. So it's shocking. Jack Bogle, who's the you know, founder of Vanguard, been in the business 63 years. I went in to go interview him for 45 minutes. He actually wrote in my book. He said, Tony comes for 45 minutes. He left four hours later. He said it was the most probing and provocative interview of his life. That's saying a lot since he's been interviewed for 63 years in the marketplace. I obviously got through to him and learned a lot from him. Um, but, I mean, he just lays out the math for you, and I put in the book, if, if I came to you and said, I want, I want to do this deal with you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invest your money for you, but here's how it works. You put up the money. You take all the risk. If you lose, you lose. If you lose or win, I get paid. I put no money, and I get paid no matter what. And over the life of your investing, the compounding cost of me is going between 40 and 60% of all you ever earn. You would say, there's, I don't know, wait a million years to do that deal. That's the deal that 92 million Americans have taken because that's the average mutual fund. You know, and it's funny because it's such a huge, huge industry. The marketing trains has programmed everybody. So what I always view it as, it's almost like this tax on everybody who's employed because your, your, your boss, who's wealthy, say, gives you your salary and you see it for three seconds, then you put it in your 401k and now it goes straight into the pockets of either the mutual fund managers or the people selling stocks to the mutual funds. So you only see your money for a few seconds and then it's off to rich people again. It's true. Well, so, it's, 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 I'm sure you know it's pay to play, right? So it's not like when you go to look at your 401k plan that even, even if you believe mutual funds are the right answer, that the best ones are there. It's the ones that paid the most to be there. In order to pay the most to be there, guess who's going to pay? They have to pay, so guess how they're going to get their money back? They're going to charge it to you and all these other fee structures underneath that you don't see that are below the sticker price. You see the sticker price and go 1%, no problem, right? You understand, no, maybe it's 3% or more. Yeah, people don't see the marketing fees. Sometimes rent, they don't see, you know, the mutual funds rent. Uh, you, they, they charge you for the fees they paid to be on your platform. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and also the trading costs, you know, That's so correct. their broker's fees. That's so there's more than 17 different fees. I list them all in there if you really want it. You yeah, want no, it. I, wanna, I saw that. You want to get pissed or you want to get depressed or you want to just know what to look for. It's there for you. Just one little box all at once. Yeah. So, so there was the there was the, the fees that was kind of the biggest aha in terms of what people should be looking at in terms of, in terms hey, of their financial can I management. Can just interject one thing for you? Mm -hmm. It's even, I mean, this I didn't go in as much depth into the book, but I want to plant the seed. It's even worse if you go to a broker and wealth manager. There's like 312 different names for what a broker is today. Um, a non-fiduciary, right, is what I call them. So if you go to that person, they might say the most common thing you hear in the marketplace today is, I'll only charge you 1% on equities, and I'll charge you nothing on bonds. If you ever really want to make yourself crazy, study bond math. Because they don't charge you anything on the surface. They don't charge you a commission. But you might be paying 3 4% or more on a bond, right, because of all the fees that are done at the trading desk level, at the level before, they, they disclose any of this to you. And it's, sure. This was live in a world Brothers. where the system is just organized. You know, and rather than bitch about the system, the system is designed 
for the people that designed the system to prosper and their shareholders to prosper. It's not first, it's not designed first for the investor. And so if you're aware of that, you don't have to be pissed. You don't have to be angry. You can just go, I'm not going to be one of those. The goal of this book is to make you the chess player instead of the chess piece. And power comes from some simple knowledge. And nine, nine lies that are marketed to you, and you know the truths, you'll never be taken advantage of again in those areas. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, it's important for people to realize that, uh, you know, you also mentioned that taxes, people pay too much in taxes. They, they don't even really know all the different ways in which they're taxed. But the ultra-wealthy know that completely. So mm -hmm. I have a whole section on that because when I interviewed these 50-plus, you know, billionaires, uh, Nobel Prize winners, the, the best of the best, every single one of them had things that were different the way they looked at investment, but I found certain themes were universal, and one of them was tax efficiency. Because again, you only get to spend what you keep. And the IRS, I don't have not upset with the IRS. I've, I've paid you know, well over $60 million in taxes in recent years. I'll just put it mm -hmm. that way. So I got, I've paid plenty of personal taxes, and I believe in paying your taxes. But I also know that by law, their job is to try and get as much money as they can from as many people as they can. And simultaneously, your job is to legally and ethically keep as much as you can, because the more you keep, the more you can compound, the more you can now take care of your family, yourself, the more you can give to charity, you get to direct it, you decide where it goes. And unless you like the way government spends money, then you probably want to get smart in that area. So I have a whole chapter on uh, secrets of the ultra-wealthy, because the ultra-wealthy know how to compound tax-free, not just tax-deferred, but tax-free. It's kind of like a rich man's Roth with no limits on it. Mm -hmm. So you're able to literally accumulate money. I'll give you perspective. Here, here's the impact of taxes in a, in a form of a metaphor. Everyone knows compounding, right? So imagine a dollar doubled. One dollar doubled next year, it's two dollars. Next year, it's four, eight, sixteen, right? So if you double dollar double uh, double a dollar twenty times, it becomes a million and forty-eight thousand, and that's pretty awesome. But if you were you're only paying thirty-three percent tax along the way, that million and forty-eight thousand. I ask people, what do you think it would be? And people go, well, 33, and you had a million, 48. Oh, no, you probably have 650,000 left over, something like that, right? 500, 700,000. No, it doesn't work that way. Those bites out of the apple along the way kill your ability to accumulate. So instead of a million and 48,000, you end up with $28,000. Mm -hmm. You're only off by almost a million, right? A little more than a million. And what, in real life, you're not going to double your money every year, right? So that's not an accurate metaphor, but it gives you the sense of the power of what compounding fees or compounding taxes does. And so you want to reduce that to the limit, the minimum you possibly can. Warren Buffett does that. Warren Buffett, the sweetest man in the world, talks about paying taxes, but if you see how he's done things, he's been very, very smart in how he's done things his entire life economically. That's oh, yeah. If you do. never sell a stock, you never have to pay taxes on it. That's part of it. But he's also, he picked an insurance company for his source capital for a good reason because they have very strong tax efficiencies, much greater than most businesses. Yeah. And so you hear about somebody that's got, you know, $10 billion and they get a $200 million life insurance policy. You say, well, why would they need a $100 million life insurance policy? They can write a check for it. They're not looking for the life insurance policy. They're looking for the tax efficiencies that that provides that allows yeah. them to take money that's under that umbrella and invest it in an environment where they can literally invest it, not have any taxes taken out. They can borrow it while they're alive. And when they die, the insurance policy pays it off. So in essence, they're able to get their goals 50% faster in that 50% tax bracket. So I show somebody who's not wealthy, who is in a lower tax bracket. How'd you like to get your goals 10 years sooner? How'd you like to, to achieve your goals you know, 25 to 50% faster? Show you exactly how to do it in here. Well, this and was by an way, interesting... that's all IRS sanctioned and supported. Right. It's very specific in the law. It's not being skirted or gray or anything of that nature. It's just, I always tell people, you know, when people say ignorance is bliss, no, ignorance is poverty. Ignorance is pain. Ignorance will, will 
create real challenges for your physical health, for your financial health, for your emotional health. You don't want to be ignorant in these subjects. And financial is an area you got to master or it will master you. Well, you had a, a great story in there where you asked some, some people their goals, their financial goals, and one person said a billion dollars. Yes. And on the one hand, this seems like admirable. It's good to have great goals. But but you you turn it around and show that actually that might not be such a great goal to have because he's making it harder for himself to achieve his goal. And you actually kind of break it down and show that what he really wanted, if he really achieved all his financial goals, was $10 million. Yeah. And so, again, we're talking big numbers, and this was just one example. You had yes. people with smaller goals. But um, the te- you know that was kind of an eye-opener that people don't really know what their financial independence goal was. I mean, here was a guy who had a 99% difference between what he thought was his goal and what was his actual goal when he broke it down, what he wanted. And that was that was actually probably the biggest aha moment for me in the book. Wow! And so, well, when you go through the book, I take you seven steps. And the first step is you know you got to tap into the power and make the most important financial decision in your life, which is to stop being a consumer and become an owner, become an mm-hmm. investor. But you got to automate that, and you got to put it into a system so that the percentage you're putting aside can grow in the future, even if you don't have the money right now. So I lay out how to do that. Then the second step is you got to become an insider, because you got to know the rules of the game before you get in the game. Otherwise, that person with experience is going to end up with your money because you don't have the experience, <laughs> they're going to get your money. It's just how right. it works. So that's what those nine myths are. Then the third step is make the game winnable. This is really critical. I mean, I'm glad you noticed it. Most people, it's okay to have giant goals in life. But have you ever set a goal and then your brain goes, bullshit? You know, it's like, that's not going to happen. Your conscious mind says it and your unconscious goes, no way in hell. When you have absolute certainty about something, it goes into your unconscious and your brain figures how to make it happen. You watch a great athlete, a great business person, you got to get yourself into a place of certainty. That's the edge in life. When you have that edge, you'll find the answer. If the answer's not in front of you, if you can't find the way, you'll make the way. That's how it works. So when people set giant goals and it sounds good and sexy, nothing wrong with that. But I say when you get your finances, you got to know your real numbers. And what I do is I show people it should be a short-term, a million, and a long-term goal. And that sounds really basic, but I'm very specific about it. I say to people, is there a difference when I use the word financial security to you than, say, financial independence? or financial freedom, or absolute financial freedom. People say, yeah, it does feel different. Which one sounds like the highest, absolute financial freedom? Which is the lowest? And they'll say, well, maybe financial security. Yeah, that's a basic need. So I ask people, if you go to a financial planner, okay, this is a tough thing, because I'm so supportive of uh, people that are fiduciaries, people that are trained and who are legally required to take care of you, to look out for you. Uh, that if you that they say, I'll tell you to buy Microsoft today in the morning and you they buy it later, cheaper that night, they gotta give you the stock. That's the law. That's micro, that's what a fiduciary is. Most people don't even know what the word fiduciary means. I'm supportive of the financial industry immensely, but I'm looking for the people that are both fiduciaries but also are sophisticated. You can be by requiring by law to look out for someone, you can be totally sincere and you can be sincerely wrong. Right? So I look for sophistication and somebody's a fiduciary. So when I say that, the reason I bring it up is if you're in a place where you're trying to get the most return you possibly can, and you sit down with the average financial planner today. There's a study I quote in the book. It's mind-boggling. It's from a financial planning association. They did a survey, I think it was three years ago, and they said, how many of you actually have a financial plan? And 47% acknowledged they didn't have one. It's like (laughs) the cobbler's son doesn't have shoes. And I can't believe they admitted it. But to be fair to them, the world's gotten so complex, people don't know where to go. And, you know, it's changing. They don't know what to do. So why don't Well, well also, to be fair to them, they're broke, right? Like, so many people have lost their jobs. The, the entire economy has been demoted, right? Yes. Like, I- I- income has gone down versus inflation. S- student 
tuitions have gone up versus inflation. Yes. Everything else has gone up versus yes. inflation. Yes. So, so how capital, do you deal with that? Well, well, that's a large issue. Let's do that one second. I'm okay. Happy to do All right. It. But, but I want to plant a seed that capital is more valuable than manpower today. That's a fact. Because of the efficiencies of technology, capital will give you a greater reward than hours of work. Unless you don't do hours of work, you bring something to it that adds value that's beyond technology, and that's human intelligence. Well, so we're in a knowledge economy now. We're not in a labor economy now. And labor, we can argue about it, but if you and I were to say this, uh, you know, 200 years ago, 80% of America was farmers, right? And so today, it's less than, what, 3% of us? 2%, and we plant, yeah. We provide, we, yeah, 2%. We provide all the food for the whole planet if we want to. And so... It looks bad in the, in the beginning. And trust me, I understand. I, I take care of people. I feed people. So I know what the disruption is out there. And I've been one of those people. That's where I started out, not being able to have food for myself. So I'm beyond emotionally connected to it. But I also understand that our job is to retool ourselves. If you're going to listen to a politician who's going to tell you, oh, we're going to get you more jobs. They're all being shipped overseas. And they're full of it. They're being shipped into factories and run by robots. They're going to be shipped there. There's not going to be 10 years from now. Who's going to hire a truck driver? When in three or four or five years, you can have a driver that goes 24 hours a day, never gets tired, never breaks down, doesn't have any accidents, right? Self-driving trucks. you got three and a half million people out there that no one is preparing for what's coming. And they're going to come back and we're going to go, oh, those rich people. These are rich people's progress. The world changes just like we all stay farmers, thank God. It used to take you know 80% of your time to have enough of your hours a day to have food on your table. Now it's like, you know, unfortunately for most people, the way they eat, probably 4%, right? So I think there's an issue here. It's a major issue that I'm passionate about, which is we must become more valuable. Each of us as individuals have to do that. The only way that you're going to be able to earn more in the future, the only way you're going to have a way to protect yourself is not to go those rich people. Because if you're saying those rich people, I want to give you a little reality check. The people that talk about rich people usually have very small incomes, maybe $30,000 a year very often, struggling. Well, and $30,000 a year in income makes you the 1%. Because you can't say those 1% over there and go out there and drink your Starbucks and <laughs> type on your Apple computer there in front of you, when in reality, two-thirds of the planet lives on $2.50 a day, $900 a year. So what you're spending on one damn Starbucks is more than they have for the whole family every year, and that's two-thirds of the planet. So isn't it convenient to go, those rich people, if you really care and that's what you do, you better think about all the other people on the planet who literally, you are the richest on earth. If you make 30000 a year, you're in the top 1% of earners on the planet. That means you are the 1%, not the 99%. So people conveniently divide whatever makes them feel good. And I say, let's you and I together say, there are people that abuse the system. There are people that have screwed us all over. I understand that. we got to make sure that's dealt with. But my God, if you spend all your time doing that, you're missing your capacity to build what's within you. And you're living in the greatest time to be alive, to really add value. But it's going to require retooling. You're going to have to say, I'm not going to go back to that manufacturing job. I'm going to have to see where are the opportunities. There's tons of industries and businesses. The opportunity is growing geometrically. i got to go educate myself. In the world we live in today, we can all self-educate ourselves no matter where we live in the world. I mean, when I worked with President Clinton, I, I never again, I said, you know, we ought to communicate by electronic mail. You know, if you, if you check out this email thing, you know, I got this AOL account. Because I heard about that. The President of the United States did not have an email account. That was only a few decades ago. Now, you know, some Maasai warrior who's, you know, living in the middle of Kenya in Africa there, he's got more computing power than the president does. He can satellite link. He can download courses from MIT. He can do trading. He can do whatever the hell he wants to do at this stage. So we live in a world I'm not willing to buy into the story of, oh, my God, all these people have done this to us. I know that's true. I know that we've been screwed royally, all of us. But to spend my time more on that old story, I'd rather spend my time on the solution. Every great person I know spends 
1% of the time on the problem and 90% of the time on the solution. So I think the solution, what you're talking about, A, we all got to do our part, take care of those that are, we're much better off. And that's not just in this country, that's around the world. I think we all have that responsibility. And I'm an active participant in that process. I don't forget my roots. But I also think we got to make sure that we constantly individually say, what can we control? Because people get depressed, people get angry, people get sad when they have three patterns of thinking. Number one, whatever you focus on, you feel. If you focus on what you can't control is your habit, you're going to be angry, depressed, or sad. And most people do. If you focus on what you don't have versus what you do have, you're going to feel empty, frustrated, depressed. If you focus on the past as opposed to what you can do right now, you're going to be completely disempowered. I can give you, every one of my seminars, i got six, ten thousand 10,000 people in an average event. I'll ask people always this question. The whole room. i got people usually from you know, 30, 40 countries. I translate three or four languages with headsets simultaneously. It's like when you went. And I go, how many of you in this room in this room right now, know somebody who's on antidepressants and they're still depressed. 98% of the room raises their hand up from all countries around the world. Now, how can people be depressed if they're taking antidepressants? And some of them are taking multiples and they're max because you haven't dealt with the real source. The real source is you're constantly focusing on what you can't control, what's missing from your life, and you're controlling on a time frame you can't do anything about. You're going to be depressed or you're going to be pissed, one of the two. So I'm, I'm passionate, as you may notice, about let's... Focus on, I can't stand the system as abusing people. That's why I wrote this damn book, and I'm giving away all the damn thing. I'm not, I'm not getting a dime out of this. You know, I'm giving, I decided when I was going along the way, I saw last summer, I'm writing this book, and somebody fed me when I was 11 years old, and I never forgot it. It changed my life. It made me believe that strangers care. So at 17, I went out, fed two families. Next year, I want to double it, four, then eight, then 16, then I got my friends involved. And then, you know, the last 15, 18 years, I've fed two million people a year through my foundation. The last five years, I've I've been able, my wife and I together set a goal, which was we're going to match it. So we've been feeding 2 million a year ourselves, plus 2 million the foundation. That's 42 million people in 37 years. Well, so I want you to know, paying it forward is what I'm about. But I saw last summer, Congress comes and cuts food stamps. They don't call food stamps anymore. $8.7 billion. That's the equivalent of every family who's part of that system not eating for a week, once a month, for 12 months. And the idea that Congress is just going to go away. I don't know, oh, those people should fend for themselves. My view is something's got to be done. So I said, you know what? I'm working my ass off for four years on this book. But, you know, what if I took all the money, I got a great advance this book, and all the future. I don't wait and see if books sell. I just write a check up front for everything I'll ever get out of this book. And how many people could I feed? It was 10 million people. I was like, that's incredible. And then as time got by, I got more and more excited. So now I'm feeding, I say in the book 50, but I'm actually feeding 55 million people this year alone. And I'm working with Feeding America. They're delivering the food. They're the number one hunger relief organization in the United States. And they're working to get matching funds with me. That's why I'm doing it, to get 100 million people fed. So I'm very passionate about taking care of people, but I'm also very passionate about people developing the muscle of what they can do. And I, I think we have to do both. The, the problem with the political system is one system says the whole system's broken, and it's the system. The other group says everybody should pull up their bootstraps. Bullshit. We have to do both. But, and I think that we all have that ability if we educate ourselves, and that's why in this book I came in and showed where the problems were, but I also showed you what the solutions were. And you, and you do say people need to develop their, their inner game. So it's Without not just now. about knowing where the fees are, where the taxes are. And, and you say, you don't say it in this book, but you say it in one of your seminars. If you ask lousy questions, you're going to get lousy answers. That's correct. And that's part of this inner game that you're referring to. And, it, and it's really true. And you see it then when you're calling up these 50 people who are the ultra wealthy. My guess is they're not saying, um, why is that guy richer than me? They're probably saying, how can I just improve the process of what I'm doing? Well, you know, there's something I want people to know. It's a perfect example. Generalizing any group of people is always a mistake. Men, women, Christians, Jews, Muslims, 
I don't care what it is, rich people, poor people, there's so many different layers of that. When I hear the president talk about millionaires and billionaires, I laugh. They're not in the same universe. Right. Uh, you know, a million dollars, a million seconds ago was 12, 12 days ago, to give you an idea, a million seconds. Right. A billion seconds ago was 32 years ago. That's things in a million and a billion. I mean, it's just like, I mean, people's idea that, that, that these are the same thing is the biggest story in the world. There's so many people in this country that work their tail off and somebody's mad at them. I will tell you these billionaires who I convinced to give me 45 minutes, the average interview was three hours. I went in with, I'll give you an example. I went in with Carl Icahn, who's just an incredible force of nature. People think that he's this selfish guy. He actually is truly driven to maximize value for everybody involved and every, virtually every company he's ever been in that he's been successful in. He's made more money for investors. But he is a very passionate guy. So I go in to have the meeting with him, and I got a big video crew because I filmed these. And he goes, and he agreed to it. And he goes, I don't want a video crew. I said, what is it? You agreed this morning. I don't, okay, I don't want a video crew. Get him out of here. Get him out of now, right? Okay, well, I'll bring my audio team in. No audio team. Okay, well, how much? Just bring your pencil. You got 10 minutes. <laughs> so I was like, but to give you an idea, Carl seems on the outside so rough, rough because people try to take advantage of him, rough because people are going to write something terrible. When he got, I really was just trying to help real investors. This isn't a game for me. This is a game to help those people really win. He gave me almost three hours of his time. At the end, he was like, let me show you what else. And here's a guy that that day made $2 billion selling his Netflix stock. That I can't remember. I think he put $30 million in to make $2 billion. Remember a million versus a billion? You get perspective. It's like different universes. Right. Um, he, 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 wrote a, he wrote a tweet about Apple being undervalued, and Apple went up $17 billion in the next two hours. I mean, it, they call him the master of the universe. If you'd invested with him in the last 14 years, you would have a 1,600% return versus 75% for the, you know, for the S&P during that time. So these people, I want you to know, opened their doors. These people gave me access when they saw that what I was really going to do was empower individual investors. So they do give a damn. Generalizing about people is the easy way to not look at yourself. I say stop that stuff. But let me come back to what you asked me. I'm a long way back. That's <laughs> okay. I, I always like the tangents. <laughs> I like the, the one about the goals. The goals is really important because... If you go, okay, I need a billion dollars, you know, once you figure out what a billion dollars really is, that million versus a billion, it can be a little overwhelming. It sounds sexy. That's not to say you shouldn't make a billion, but you need a billion to be financially secure. So this young man that you're talking about, and I've had this happen many times, well, I need a billion dollars. I go, okay, well, let's break that down. Tell me everything you want in your life. So he starts walking me through. Well, I want an island. Okay, I got one of those. You want to know how much it costs? I'll tell you, right? And I said, but, you know, I did that when I was you know, what, 26 years old, 27 years old. And I owned it for a lot of years. I spent a fortune building it up. And I go there about two weeks out of the year. And the rest of the year, it's the number one resort in Fiji. And it's one top resort in the top 10. Oprah last year says, greatest place on earth to go. Recommend her top picks recommendation. I'm real proud of it. But guess who has a great lifestyle? The people that go there. I paid for the damn thing. You know, and, you know, and they go there. I have a great time. So I said, maybe you want to go to my friend Richard Branson and he'll rent you his island, right? Here's what it'll cost you. How you want to, you want to, you want a Gulfstream jet? Do you need a Gulfstream? How often are you going to fly? Where are you going to fly? Well, down to Florida, down to Kingscane. You know, uh, okay, well, let's look at that cost of charter. You can have a Gulfstream jet. You can charter down there. Let's put that. How many times are you going to go? So we start breaking that down versus a sixty million dollar jet. When he's all said and done, the entire amount he would need is less than ten million dollars versus a billion. Now, he, I think he could still make his billion. Maybe he will. But why not ring the bell and win at ten million, and all the rest of it is gravy? So what, here's how I do it with people, though. I, rather than saying billion or trillion, I say, what do you think it's going to take to be financially secure, independent, or free? And people, most people have no clue. Some people have calculated what they think it's going to take to have an income for life. So let's start with this. 
let's, I've learned that when the brain has certainty, it, it becomes more aggressive. You know, I took a pistol shooting program for the United States Army when I was 24, and I went to a general, and I said, General, I could take any training you have in the Army, cut the training time in half, and increase the competency. He said, you're crazy. I said, no, I'm expensive. You did this at 24? I did this at 24. I negotiated with this general. I got top secret clearance. I didn't know it was going to pistol shooting. I didn't want to do pistol shooting. I never shot a gun. I just said, any training program. So he gives me a four-day pistol shooting program. I ask him, and I, I'm a little freaked out because it wasn't what I was expecting. I thought it would be like a 10-week thing or, you know, four days. The Army's refined it for, I think at that time, 60 years or something like that. And the Army qualified. Uh, a third of the people didn't qualify, right? Knew all the statistics. So I had to beat that. So I said, give me the best expert in all the armed services and give me the best from all three services, best marksman. Brought him in, did this process of modeling. I put him side by side and I said, let's see what you're doing. Stop. I just did, what are you doing in your head? I just compared what they did internally and externally to find what was idiosyncratic versus what was consistent across all of them. When I knew it was consistent, here was the secret to what made it work. First of all, they said to me, let's see you shoot because I was 24 years old on a t-shirt and, and, you know, and a pair of jeans and the guy's like, you know, these guys are 35, 33, the best in the military, right? And they're like, how long have you been shooting? I said, shooting what? <laughs> they said, how long have you been shooting? I said, I don't shoot guns. And you're going to teach us? I said, no, you're going to teach me. So they made me shoot a 45 caliber pistol and, you know, I never shot a gun before and it has quite a bit of a kick and I put this bullet in the ceiling, didn't really help very much. But what I did at the end was I learned what they all did, but then I created a training program that induced certainty. When I got up there to do this thing, I'm shaking, looking at this thing from 50 yards away trying to shoot. Well, that seems like forever. What am I going to do? So what I did is all of these guys I found out mentally, I found out unconsciously by interviewing them. I stopped. What are you doing right now? What are you doing in your head? Okay, you're bringing the gun. What happened just then? And after doing this for a day, I found out all of them have one thing in common. They brought the target closer mentally. So it seemed bigger and closer to them, which made them more certain. How did they do that? What do you mean? Mentally, they pictured the target coming closer before they went to shoot. So they, the target was here instead of way there. Every single one of them did, and most of them, one was a conscious of it, the others were not conscious of it. It was an unconscious tool. It's like when people are good at something, sometimes they don't know how they do it. It just happens in milliseconds. So guess what I did when I did the pistol shooting program? I figured everything they did and the order they did it, the best of all of them. But then I had people pick up a gun the very first time, and I never let them shoot it until they'd done everything perfectly in sequence. And the first time they shot the gun, it was from here to that wall. This <laughs> is like four feet away. Boom, right through the center. Holy shit, I'm good at this. Right? Boom, 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 boom. Now I take it out 10 feet. Now I take it out 15 feet. And we qualified 100% of the people in a day and a half. And the Army was only getting 70%. I tripled the number of people that got experts. And the colonel of the project told the, 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 uh, the two-star general, he said, this is the first breakthrough in pistol shooting since World War I. So I learned from that experience way back when about certainty. So if you've got this target and you make it this giant target that's 50 miles away, it might sound sexy, but it's not going to feel good. So here's what I do with people. is how would you feel? Let's just start with this one. How would you feel if... You could have these five things paid for and never have to work again. In other words, you'd have an income for life without working that paid for these five things. Anything else you needed income for, you'd work for. Maybe you work part-time, whatever, full-time doing something you love. But these five things would be covered. The five things are your mortgage. So you never, ever, as long as you live, have to work to pay for your home. Your utilities, you never have to worry about that as long as you live. Food for your family, covered forever. All your transportation costs and your basic insurance. Not everything but basic. How would you feel? Most people, that would feel incredible. How, would you feel financially secure? Really secure. Cool. Let me show you what that number is. Let's actually break down that number. And I have people do it, and it blows their mind because the number is so small by comparison. It's usually about 60% of what they need overall. And so instead of, let's say, a person goes to a financial planner and they say, I make $100,000 a year, how much will I need to retire? They say, well, if you want $100,000 income, most people say it's 10 times your income, which is absurd. 10 times 100000 you need a million dollars. 
that says that you're going to put a million dollars aside and get 10% on it per year in a secure environment. Where is that going to happen? That's decades ago. That's not happening. So it's really 20 times if you're thinking at 5%. So, okay, 100,000 made 2 million. That seems like a big number. But if I start to break down what you need to be financially secure, I might discover that, no, what you really need is maybe $60,000 of income. And that 60,000 times 20 is 1.2 million. I'd say 60% of what's going to take to be me secure. Now, that's not everything. But, oh, my God, if you're a baby boomer and you lost a ton of money, you, you can get secure still in the short bit of time you have, even very little compounding. If you're somebody, a millennial, you're going to blow through that. But at least when you win, you ring the bell and go, I got it. Mm -hmm. And that builds certainty, right? So now we can take the target a little further. Now you can get even more certain. Now let's go for financial independence. Let's make it so you have the same income you have today without working. And then let's maybe look at more income than you have today. What would it take? Like, what's a dream for you? And instead of saying I have to go buy the jet or buy the boat, most people will buy the boat or jet will tell you the best day was the day they bought it and the day they sold it. We all know the phrase that they use. Why not lease it, charter it, and only when you need it, let's find out what that costs. And you might discover you could have a billionaire lifestyle, a millionaire lifestyle, but you don't have to have a billion or a million dollars. So I, once you know what your number is, then I've got an app that comes with the book that's free, and you just put pop in your numbers, and you can play with it to come up with a plan that's real. And then I give you five ways to improve that plan, including tax efficiency. Because, mm -hmm. like, for example, I moved, I, I, I'm fortunate enough um, to have multiple homes in my life. I travel all over the world. I try to have homes near where I work so I can not have to always live in a hotel. You're my main home. But I moved here about a year and a half ago because I just sat down because California raised the rates to 13 and a third on the highest income people. And because high income people are only a small number of votes, they made it retroactive. Now, you have every right to raise the tax. And I paid the tax no matter what they've done. But when they made it retroactive, I mean, I played by the rules, and then after the fact, you're going to penalize me and screw me over. That was it for me. I, I looked at 88 properties in three states in six and a half weeks, and I moved to Palm Beach, Florida, and I never moved down there. I would have thought, Florida, alligators and old people. I like, oh, my God, you look out this window. This is, the weather is just like the most incredible. It's like the greatest secret in the world. Don't tell anybody. Right? I'm going to guess you talked to a lot of real estate experts as well. <laughs> you bet I did. Because, you know because there's a Tony Robbins method I'm starting to get here, which is that you're going to talk to all of the, the top best. experts in the world, figure out kind of the key things that's similar to all of them, and then write a book or buy a house or but, build a system around And that's it. what I did. But my reason I tell you that is because the amount of money I save in annual state taxes alone by living here is more than what this home would cost you, which is a you know, 20,000 square foot home on you know, 200 feet of ocean in front of the water and you know, two acres. So if you can imagine, it's not a cheap home. All of it's paid for. In fact, the entire thing, it's not like payments. It's paid off in six years of tax savings. The house is free. So why would I live in California where I only live 90 days a year anyway and let somebody do that? So there are ways. A lot of people say, oh, I can't move. I show people how you don't have to wait till you retire. There's some things you could do that could radically improve your life. And I never knew it was going to improve my life. Forget the financial improvement. I would, if I would have known this this year, I wish would have been here 15 years earlier, 20 right. years earlier. My wife can go to the greatest places, the greatest restaurants, the greatest everything, total privacy. I live on an island. I used to go to Fiji to do that where my, my island is. Now I've got here as my main home. So it's really, it's really looking at your goals in a new way. It's saying, how do I get the lifestyle, not how do I have to have the things? If you so, have the things too, you're welcome to do it. But I'd like to show you how to get there faster. And you can have the things later on if you just want to own them for some reason. But most, most of that is ego. And nothing wrong with ego, but it, there's a price of ego. Well, there's ego, but then there's also relief. You know, yes. so you want to get relief first, then you can feed the ego. That's then you have some little left, left over. And maybe it's not ego. For some people, it's accomplishment. For some people, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, People assume people's motivations. They project the motivations on them. They always project the best motivations on themselves and terrible on other people. 
But if you really get under it, some people, it's just the game. Like when I wrote this book, you know, Money Master the Game, you can't imagine the negative feedback I got from some people on social media. They're like, oh, Tony sold out. He's selling a book on money. First of all, I'm giving away all the damn money if I bought the book. And then sometimes multiple, multiple, multiple. But worse than that is the assumption. But then there's like game. He's saying money's a game. It is. The richest people on earth all know it's a game. Why else is somebody like Steve Wynn is a buddy of mine, right? Got billions and billions of dollars. He still works 12, 14 hours a day because it's a game. There are rules to games. Not all games are frivolous. And you know what? Some people... Some people sit on the sidelines of the game and watch because games are a reflection of your life. Some people get in the game. Some people play to win. Some people just kind of try a little bit. Some people dabble. How are you going to play? And I tell people, this subject, money, this is an area you can't afford to, that's a game you can't afford to lose. You've got to master this game and not let it master you. So let me ask you this. Let's say you were dropped off in the middle of anywhere, okay, and you had nothing. Yeah. And because and, this is what's happening to many people in America now. They're, they're in their 50s. They're fired from their jobs. They, haven't, they don't have a 47% don't have a financial plan. They don't know what they're doing. What would you do right now if you were just from scratch? Well, I, I've almost had to do that once before. I went through a divorce. I married a woman. When I married her, she had been married twice before me. I had children from both of them. I adopted the kids. I was 24 and had a 17-year-old son. An 11-year-old daughter and a 5-year-old instantly. Wait, you had you were 24 and you had a 17-year-old son? She was 11 years my senior, uh -huh. 11 and a half years my senior. She'd been married twice. So I took both sets of kids. They're the, one of the greatest gifts of my life. Brought them to my life. Made them my own. But that was a kind of a wild thing to have a 17-year-old son when you're 24. An 11-year-old daughter instantly, a 5-year-old, and then a child on the way. So that changed my life at a level you can't imagine. And I was living in the Del Mar Castle, which is the, in the city of Del Mar, which is in Southern California near San Diego. So it's a, it's a, what do you call it? A home that's been built out of pieces of castles in Europe. It's a very famous place. And I was fairly wealthy, I thought, at that stage. When I got divorced, <laughs> she got an eight times multiple on all my companies. And the market had dropped. But I still had to get an eight times multiple. And some of those were companies that were like a doctor. If I don't work, it doesn't happen. So, you know, I ended up paying $42 million. When I didn't have $42 million, the market had dropped to the floor. And I paid a million dollars a year before I ate. So I had to start over literally at 39, 40 years old and rebuild things again. But I did. I never did it for the money. I did it because I love what I did. And then I just found a way that if you can help millions of people, then you can do well. If you can help with 12 people, you can do well emotionally and spiritually. Maybe you can do well financially. It depends on what, what, what the services you charge for. But my thing is help millions. I can help millions. You don't have to worry about money. And so I built back up from there. But the answer to your question is it's easy. I'll say, oh, well, this is what I would do. I can tell you that I was at the base where it looked like I was going to end up with absolutely nothing. And I went back and had a skill set, obviously. I used that skill set. The psychological part is the hard part for those people. What you're describing, it's not that they can't do it. It's the idea of starting over when you're 40 or 50. And in my case, to go back on the road and live on the road again to build things back up. was like, I, I don't have it in me is what the story I told myself. Did you feel you didn't have the energy? I, it, not to start over. Not after I spent a lifetime of helping millions of people and then see all that go because I got... Because I wanted to have a divorce because I was unhappy and I was still want to make this person a good partner. If it was real estate, it had been easy, divided in half. But eight times multiple, that's the power of business. And I had at that time 13 companies. Mm. So it was just, it was onerous to say the least. But here's the beauty of it. It, it made me stronger, made me better, made me, made me who I am today, which I wouldn't trade for anything on earth. Uh, no one, people can take away what you have. They can't take away who you become. Mm. And who you become will make you either really happy or really sad. And so my view to those people, I deal with those people all the time is, you have to retool. This is the bottom line. This is, you know, 50 years old is the halfway mark. 
you might say, no, it's not. You know, the average person lives to 85. Well, when you think about how much you learn, how fast you learn when you're a little kid compared to how you are today, I can do more with my pinky today than I used to be able to do when I'm 20 with 20 hours a day because I've got relationships and exposure and I've got mindset and insights and things like that. You take away everything and I will rebuild it again. So that mindset for those individuals is to say, I have to accept that that chapter is closed and I got to open a new one. And you got two choices. Give up. Like what, what do people do when they get pain? They either give up, they die, or they're driven. And I chose to be driven. And that's a choice all of us have to make. And the drive has got to say, I don't like being, no one likes being born um, where your birthday allows you, you know, coming out of college in 2008, right? 2009, or a compressed economy. Wouldn't have been nicer to become out. I mean, people that were, for example, retiring in the 1980s were happy campers. Those who were retiring in the early 2000s were homeless campers, you know? And it had nothing to do with them. It was just the times we're in. Like, who wants to be born in 1929 or come of age in 1929? Well, guess what? We all have winters in our life. Culturally, they happen about every 80 years. We go on a cycle of every 20-year cycles. You study those, you see them. What we have to do is figure out how to take advantage of the winter. So some people freeze to death in the winter. Other people learn to ski and snowboard and be close to their family. I say the beautiful thing about economic tough times is it makes us remember that we need each other. Right, that's the real value. Now, some of the people, they use it to tear people apart. I, I don't see that as a solution. I see that when I saw in 2008 or when 9-11 happened, I saw people with, with flags on their cars who used to be spitting each other. But they're all Americans. Right? When I worked with President Clinton, he said, you know, my biggest problem is we don't have an external enemy back in those days. He goes, you know, there's no, we don't have a Soviet Union. He, there's nothing of that nature. So, so, so I wanted to ask about that. So he calls you up, right, and he needs help with something, whatever it is. What, what happened then? Like he... Well, I was at a friend of mine named Peter Gruber, which was the chairman of Sony and Columbia Pictures and TriStar, a really brilliant man, great sure. friend of mine to this day. And um, he said, the president's on the phone. And, and so I picked up the phone and the president uh, started talking to me and shared with me some of the friends that he had. And he said, I'm in a tough place. This is in his first term. And it's when he won with his landslide on it's the economy stupid, but then he made a bunch of decisions that he felt were quality decisions, but they weren't related to the economy. And if you remember, he lost you know, Congress and Senate. And Last time both both houses were controlled by Republicans, and he was being written as this incredibly weak person, and he you know said I'd like you to come to Camp David. And this was Christmas Eve. He said I'd love you to come to Camp David and have this meeting with me. And I said, Mr. President, I said it's a privilege to serve you as an American, but I just said I want you to know if you're looking for a mouthpiece or someone to tell you what you believe, I'm not it because I'm not a fan. And Peter's sitting there and he's like, You're still the President of the United States. You're not a fan. I said, I'm, I'm not saying that to be mean. I, it's be a privilege to serve you. But if you're looking for somebody who's going to tell you the same thing, everybody else is telling you I'm the wrong guy. He goes, no, that's exactly what I've heard. You'll speak your piece. And I said, I'm not saying I'm right either. I'm just I'm just going to give you another point of view. So, uh, and I met him and fell in love with Lewis as a man because he really, really cares about human beings. You know, his legacy didn't end with the presidency, as you know, with Clinton sure. Initiative. And, and he's just an extraordinary, not only communicator and a brilliant mind, but he has a giant heart. Um, but, you know, that's what started my relationship coaching with him. How do we get off on this little topic? <laughs> well, you, you brought up Clinton, but I was it's, – it's in my notes because you mentioned it. You know, he's, the, he's the very first blurb in your book. And I'm thinking, how did that start? Like what advice did you give to the president of the United States? Not that you're not yes. qualified to give advice to the president of the United States, but what, what was the discussion that. like? If I was a fly on the wall, what would I have heard? <laughs> Well, I can't tell you the things I share with them personally because I don't share any. One of the reasons I get the calls I do is I don't mm -hmm. share private people's information unless they share it. Okay. Um, but uh, but I can tell you that he was having a tough time at that time and he needed help because he nothing seemed to be working. Nothing seemed to be working, giving him traction. The media was holding him a certain way. And one thing I shared with him is I said, honestly, Mr. President, if you don't do anything, the story will change because the story will become old. 
If you do something really good, people are going to find something wrong. If you do something really wrong, they'll eventually find something good. If you do nothing, I'm not suggesting you do nothing, but when you're feeling like nothing will work, if you do nothing, it'll change. Now, if you do something active to demonstrate who you are and that you've got real muscle and you don't let these Republicans push you around, you know, you've got a different approach to things. And so, you know, we, we went to lots of different discussions and details, but, um, but that relationship, you know, uh, lasted through later in, in his career when uh, I got a phone call saying they're going to impeach me in the morning. What should I do? True story. I said, could you have called me sooner? <laughs> First thing I said. Uh, but President Clinton is one of the most unique, intelligent, caring, um, uh, effective communicators that I know of. And knows more about more subjects that affect human beings than just about anybody you'll ever meet. And you cannot be in his presence and not feel like you are the only thing on earth. I mean, he is really, you know, maybe, you know, on the other side of the aisle, maybe Reagan. Reagan was amazingly engaging. I got to work with him very briefly. Um, of those two human beings, I've never two, two more human beings that have been more powerful. Uh, President Obama is incredibly uh, uh, smart and intelligent and a great communicator, but um, but has not been able to cross the aisle uh, or has chosen to, uh, whereas you know both Reagan and Clinton did. And I think that's a difference in leadership style. I wanted to ask about a couple of different things. One is, by the way, I want you to know I support the president, current president. I want to make sure that's clear. I'm, I voted for him initially, and I think he's a genius man. But I my comments are really related not politically so much as is what does it take for any of us to be effective we have to be able to influence people that don't think like us if you only influence people that think like you do then you divide yourself your company your family your nation in half and it doesn't matter if you think you're right or not even if you are right we have to you know one of the things i've learned about the most effective communicators on earth is they've been able to enter other people's worlds better than other people and so you can't influence somebody if you don't know what already influences them and you can't influence somebody when you're judging them and so I think that's one of the challenges, not only for our president, but for both parties right now. We've become so polarized that when you look at economics, it's hard to get anything done when both parties are polarized over so many different issues. And it's because it used to be people would fight like hell and they go have a beer together. Now they fight like hell and that's all they do is fight like hell. You know? Well, you know, there, there's a, a bridge between that and then your book where basically all of these ultra wealthy guys that you interview, one thing that stands out to me is they all admit they don't know anything. Yeah. So they don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now or five years from now. So they have asset allocation strategies for, you call it the all-weather you know, asset allocation strategy. And I think this is true for most areas of life. We really don't know what's going to happen next. So in politics, it's not worth fighting with people, but rather building consensus. And you relate that to the inner game when you say it's an important to, to create wealth. It's, an, it's important to be the servant of many is yes. essentially the way you refer to it. Yes. And uh, maybe you can elaborate on that because let's say everybody out there listening to this wants to create wealth. Well, how do you, ch instead of saying, asking the lousy questions, how do you ch um, build a habit and how long does it take to build a habit where you become the servant of many? Oh, that's a lot of questions. Yes, I, I packed it all. <laughs> we have 15 minutes. <laughs> Here's what I'd say. Uh, the man who impacted my life um, in terms of, I think at a very deep level is a man named Jim Rohn. He was a personal development speaker. When I was 17, I went to hear him speak. And I listened to him, and he, he said something I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand how my father could work as hard as he did, and we had no money and no food on Thanksgiving. It just didn't make any sense to me. Like, how was it worth so broke? My dad's a good man. He's a caring man. He's a hardworking man. And so I used to have that anger, like, you know, all those rich people thing. And I grew up on the other side of the tracks, and I had, the, I had that whole story. But Jim Rohn changed that in me because he's such an elegant man. And he said, you know, he was talking to the audience, and later on I got to know him, and he shared with me personally, but he was talking to the audience. He said, you have to understand how the economic ladder works. 
You're paid for value, not your soul's value, not your spiritual value. That's priceless for any human being. But in the economic world, you're paid for added value. And if you can find to add more value in less time, can a person make 10 times as much money in the same time, 20 times as much money, 100 times as much money? Yes, if they become more valuable. But most of us, we want things to change, but we don't want to change. We want things to get better, but we don't want to get better, right? And those two don't go together. And so he said, you know, if you look at it, in those days, I don't remember the number, but I can tell you today, you know, the McDonald's, right, you make seven twenty-five an hour. It's 15000 a year. That's insane. You can't survive on that. That's total poverty, right? And yet, a guy like Tepper, who last year, you know, for Appalachian Management made $3.5 or six, I think, billion, more than $3 billion in personal income. That's absurd. That's wrong. You know, Ron looked at it very differently. He said, if, you, if he was alive today, he would have said to me, Tony, he got in a world where people are getting 25 basis points, where you're giving all of your hard-earned money to a bank and you're getting a quarter percent, a half a percent, maybe 1%. He got people 42% returns. At 1%, it'll take you 72 years to double your money. At 42%, it's a little over two years and you're doubling your money. The difference in what he's doing in terms of people's quality of life, what he could offer them, is mind-boggling, and that's why he's rewarding. And he's not doing it for one person or two, but he's doing it at scale. So I looked around. My mom wanted me to be a truck driver. And she wanted me to go ahead. When I was a kid, I'm old enough, we used to watch these commercials at Truck Masters Truck Driving School. And these ads on these commercials on television. You know, you can make $24,000 a year as a truck driver. And I remember she really wanted me to do that because I'd make twice as much as my dad, who was a parking attendant in an underground parking lot in Century City in LA his entire life for 38 years so it's like my dad somebody came in he looked punched it said the price took the money you could teach a lot of people to do that so when a lot of people can do it it's not very valuable it's valuable but not very valuable so you can be mad saying he should be getting more per hour but the truth is what Ron said is the, the secret to wealth is to become more valuable to work harder on yourself than anything else and in fact I was on the Today Show with Warren Buffett, the first time I ever met him, and he said the greatest investment you could ever make is in yourself. He said one of the greatest investments he ever made was not a stock in any company. It was going to a Dale Carnegie class where he learned to speak and communicate. It was, that was the greatest thing because that stock, that investment doesn't go away. It produces a multiplied result for your whole life. So Rome's thing was work harder yourself than anybody else. Constantly find a way to add more value. So you look around, that's what I figured out how to do in my life. And, but I can show you, for example, a teacher will come to me and say, Tony, I love this. When I first started to put this out, I put out a, a, an early version of this book just to see what I need to refine so I could read to everybody. And I gave it to some school teachers. And this one school teacher said to me, she said, Tony, she goes, I love this book. I'm so excited about it. But, you know, I really never be able to ever earn more in my entire life. It's kind of set by the government. And that's how it is. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right if you stay in that mindset. But I said, I'll introduce you a guy, and then I ended up putting in the book because of talking to her, uh, who makes you know seven million dollars a year. He's a school teacher, and he works in a grade school in Korea, but junior high school. And, but guess what he did? He said, "I've got thirty students, and I love what I do." And he was always finding a way to teach these students how to do more. Like you know, here's how you can do it faster. Here's a little technique, and he's just obsessed. He, he didn't just keep teaching the same thing. He was always adding value to the students, and so students loved him. So then some students said. Why don't you go online and put some more lessons for us? And so he went online, put on lessons, and it just grew and grew and grew. And now he's making millions of dollars a year, and he still teaches the class because he loves to teach the class. And I but bet he's, you... he's learned to become a servant of many. As the Bible says, if you wish to be great, and being great is not a bad thing, according to the Bible, if it's in there, you should learn to be a servant of many. And so 
he's figured a way to serve many. Now you can serve many and make no money too. And, and a lot of us, you know, I, I do that a portion of my life and a lot of people do that. And, and as long as you do it consciously, then you don't want to be upset about it. But you have to know the marketplace will reward disproportionately for certain skills. And today you got to know what those are. So I have a chapter on how to find out what yours is. I mean, there's a young lady with, uh, when I was on the Today Show with Warren, the other person was on with me was um, the woman who created Spanx. I didn't even know what Spanx are. And I guess every woman knows, most men didn't know. But she cut off these little pantyhose and built this little outfit. And she's the first, the youngest female billionaire in history. And she just had this little idea and she just wouldn't give up. And she had no money and she pushed through. So I know those are the exceptions. I'm not an idiot. I know most people, by the way, do not stay fit and strong. But it's not because they can't. Because they don't, because they surround themselves with people with standards where they point the finger at, oh, I just can't do it. It's so bad. McDonald's gives me too bad of food. Everyone's got a reason outside themselves, but a few do. There are very few people that have a passionate relationship 10 years later on, not just love, but love and passion, but a few do. There are very few people that really maximize their financial opportunities, their business or career opportunities, their investment opportunities, but a few do. I'm obsessed with finding the few who do figure out what they do and teaching it to anyone so other people can learn and, and compress decades into days instead of saying, my gosh, the system is against me. The system isn't on your side, but you can use the system to your advantage if you're smart and if you educate yourself. But if you don't educate yourself, then you just have to complain. But you know, it's interesting, like call, taking what I called earlier the Tony Robbins method. Let's say I was a teacher. Yes. I would study guys like that teacher in Korea exactly right. or the guy who started the Khan Academy yes. or a Code Academy. What are they doing to kind of aggregate with YouTube or videos or whatever yes. and start building wealth that way? So there's so not just studying. But that's not the only way. That's, that's just one, right? You, you, right. You, you could be a teacher and you could be doing something else on the side that gives you some income. Right. And, it, and look, if you sit aside, if you just didn't go to, to dinner once a week and you had a pizza instead and save 40 bucks, that's basically what people might spend on a cheap dinner or dinner for a couple people. Now, think about that. 40 bucks sounds like nothing. 40 bucks a week is 2,000 bucks a year. 2000 bucks a year, 8%, 40 years, half a million dollars. Now, that, that's not a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's, a, it's not a lot of money that you had to think about. It was just set aside and grow because you use the power of compounding. But most people don't think that way. Most people overestimate what they're going to do in a year. And they underestimate what they're going to do in several decades. i got to tell you something. You're going to snap your fingers. How old are you? 46. Okay, 46. You're going to snap your fingers. You're going to wake up and you're going to be 60. And you're going to go, what the hell happened, right? It's going to happen. Ten years. It already happened to me at 46. I used to be 30. <laughs> you were? That's amazing. Yeah. Me too one day. <laughs> but the point is, the time is going to happen. The question is, what are you going to do with it? And now is the time to design it. I wrote this book to say, time to master the subject. Make it a game that you can win. Make it a game you can enjoy. It doesn't have to be an obsession. You can literally take what Ray Dalio has taught you in here. Guys, 85% of the time been successful for 75 years. What are your chances of you figuring out a plan better than that? In, 85, in the last 40 years, check it out. He's lost money four times, and one of those was 0.003%, which means he basically broke even. So he lost money three times in 30 years on this formula. In 75 years, he's been right 85% of the time. The biggest loss has been 3.95%. Now, if you could go to Vegas and he's right 85% of the time, your average loss is 1.6% over 75 years of gambling, I think you'd probably, probably invest a little money. So he's only one of the people in this book. I give you their exact portfolios. I give you <laughs> Swenson's portfolio, which actually makes more money per year, but it's got more volatility. So you have to have more risk. But a smooth ride like that, he gave that as a gift to you. He gave that to a gift to people. He didn't have to. And that's what this book is. The, this book is a gift. It's my gift because I'm not making anything out of it, but it's also the gift of these 50 people that gave you answers they didn't have to give. 
But you got to give yourself the gift to go get the damn thing, read it, and most importantly, apply it. Just a little step at a time. One step at a time, seven steps, and you get where you want to go. Well, Tony, thanks so much for spending the time and sitting down with me. Uh, Tony Robbins, author of Money, Master the Game, Seven Simple Steps to Financial Freedom. It's an excellent book. And again, I really appreciate what you have done for me personally 13 years ago and also sitting down with me right now for the past hour. So it's really Thank great. You. Thanks so much. Thanks for taking the time. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.